entrepreneurs of Capital Inc. and I would like to welcome you to our newest uh, session uh, in the podcast series, Riding the Waves of a Lifetime. Uh, this podcast series gives us the opportunity to interact with maritime industry leaders who share with us career and life experiences, as well as their insight on the industry's opportunities, risks, challenges, and direction. Today's uh, webinar, today's podcast, uh, we are privileged to have with us Mr. Marco Fiori, the CEO of Premuda. Uh, before uh, presenting a few highlights uh, of uh, Marcos's uh, career, I would like to thank uh, Columbia Ship Management uh, for sponsoring today's podcast. Uh, as you all know, uh, Columbia is one of the major um, third-party ship management firms with uh, a presence across all industry segments and with a global footprint. And we are delighted and thankful that uh, they are sponsoring uh, today's uh, podcast uh, with Marco Fiore. Marco, I would like to welcome you. And uh, I would like to start by saying that uh, indeed, you have a fascinating career. You started mm -hmm. in 1990 working for the New York branch of uh, Banca Nazionale dell'Agricoltura. Mm -hmm. You run the bank's US operation as a deputy manager. By the way, uh, let me interject and say I share the banking background with you as I work for the New York branch of Credit Commercial de France. Uh, and among other things, I also focused on uh, ship finance. In 1996, you went to the D'Amico uh, group. Uh, and actually, as I read in your CV, you describe 1996 as the year that you were born in shipping. So at D'Amico, you remained for a long period, 22, 23 years, and you served during that period in various C-level uh, 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 roles at the group. And eventually you became the CEO of the D'Amico International Shipping, uh, the tanker arm of the group. Uh, you led the company to a successful stock listing in 2007 at the Milano Stock Exchange, and the company had 45 modern product tankers. I mean, D'Amico International Shipping is a major uh, presence in the uh, international, the global product uh, tanker market. Then in 2019, you started as CEO of the Italian shipping company, Premuda. Now, Premuda was bought uh, by Pillarstone, the KKR-controlled fund, I think, uh, in 2017. When you started at Bermuda, the company had 13 vessels, uh, 10 dry bulk, and three tankers. Today, the company manages and owns uh, a larger fleet uh, of about 32 vessels, I think 12 uh, dry bulk and 20 tankers, uh, mainly product tankers. So I have had the privilege over the years to work with you, cooperate, and interact with you. And I have always appreciated, and I'm, trying, I'm not trying to flatter you, I have always appreciated your action-oriented ideas, the clarity of your thoughts, and also the strong opinions uh, that you voice over time. And, I, and as a CEO, I think it's wonderful to have somebody who has uh, strong uh, and guiding opinions. And also, I have to say, I have loved to uh, appreciate your uh, sense of humor. So... Uh, <laughs> So let me formally welcome you. And Thank you. Thank you, Nicolas. Let's start uh, discussing. Uh, one of the things that we need to touch upon is uh, everybody knows me in Japan. When we go to Japan, uh, you know, Marco San is, uh, Fiori San is uh, well known by everybody. So let's start our, our discussion, Marco. 1996, we describe it as the year you were born in shipping. So how did that happen? Well, you know, I think, you know, life is always, uh, I had this, uh, this uh, two great friends, Paolo and Cesare, that I knew growing up, D'Amico. And, uh, you know, you turn 40, you wonder what's going to be the next, uh, the next chapter of your life, you know. So they were going through some changes. It was them two who were kind of young, they're my age. They were 40 years old, so around 40 themselves. And they said, you know, they said, you know, we, will you ever thought about coming and working with us? I said, yeah, sure. It said, but I know nothing about shipping. I said, don't worry. You know, you have to know about finance. We know about shipping. And that, that's how the whole thing started. So, you know, they were very 
inclusive in this. So uh, it started like that. Say, and we were very lucky because we started <clears throat> from that moment doing a lot of transactions, which were very accretive for the company. You know? When I joined, there was a small fleet, an older fleet. And, uh, and uh, from there on, we started doing a lot of uh, good things. And, uh, and also the times were right for doing the good things. So, you know, everything, everything worked well. But Marco, it is really very interesting and, and exciting. You, you start on the finance, and which is obviously very important, and then becoming eventually the CEO of the group, you're dealing with everything. You're dealing with technical management, you're dealing with uh, new building contracts, insurance, and a lot of technical things. So it's quite a transition. Um, well, you know, if you, if you have a good team of people with you, at the end of the day, you know, what, what I always believed, Two things I would like to tell you. 1996, I joined. 1997, we did uh, our first transaction uh, on capital markets. That was uh, 105 million uh, syndicated loan. That was never done something like that by D'Amico for the building of three new ships in Korea. A, a shipyard called Daidong, who then became part of the STX group. So that was uh, a little bit... Uh, uh, getting wet at the beginning. Then a couple of years later, we did the acquisition of uh, Italia di Navigazione, which was the government uh, uh, arm for uh, containers and was mainly doing the route from Italy to the west coast of the United Coast, uh, East Coast and South America. And we, they had to privatize the company because there was a law in Europe that they could not be anymore sponsored by the government. So we participated in privatization and we won that contract. So then we sold again the company. So there's been a lot of transactions have been, uh, have been going through. And then slowly, you know, you have the right team. We grew the team. And uh, I always had great colleagues. I've uh, had people... Uh, working with me because I always had people working with me, never for me, I think. I think the main thing in, in building a team is that everybody works for some, together with somebody else. It's not, uh, it's not a very hierarchic uh, relationship. I really believe that uh, everybody can chip in wherever I went. Uh, my door in my office has always been open. We always go out for dinner, lunch. We have great times. We talk. I think that's the main thing of something. You're in, a, you're in a market shipping, which is a people's market. How can you be in that market without being a people's person? So, you know, so also with your colleagues, you have to be very, you really have to like the people who you work next to you. Otherwise it becomes very boring, tedious, uh, and not fun. So, so to answer to your question, if you have a great team together, they can help in uh, in every situation. You know, absolutely, Marco. I mean, you have done quite a lot of things in your career. So, would you like to share with us what you consider as milestones in your career? You've been in, in my shipping career. I think milestones probably has been the first syndicated loan. That probably was the first thing of putting. Uh, us on the financial map of some large banks. As I remember in the first syndicated transaction, there was still uh, Chase Manhattan Bank, you know, a name that doesn't exist anymore, uh, Miss Pearson. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of names that today don't exist more. But the most important thing, these names have gone away, most of them, but they've been uh, acquired. And uh, since the last days I was in D'Amico, uh, I always try to work with these banks. I think this aspect of loyalty to your financiers is very important. It has to be a two-way street. They trust you and you have to trust them. So when you do a new transaction, I think you should always bring them in. I think in my career, probably second milestone, I probably executed over, well, well over a billion dollars of financing for, for D'Amico. And uh, I always try to keep the same banks, you know. So some have been added later on. All the major banks of the, of the shipping world, Credit Agricole, Top Bank, uh, the Norske. So everybody came in. But, uh, but I always try to keep the same, the same club of banks, you know, because I think loyalty is a two-way street. You have, you have to send back the elevator once, uh, once you get where you are. So I think that's very important. 
So that was for sure one of my big things. Second thing was probably the acquisition of Italia di Navigazione. It was very interesting participating in the privatization of a large uh, government-owned entity. Uh, first thing that was also very interesting was the listing of, uh, of uh, the IPO of uh, the Mico International Shipping. Uh, the amount of work, the teamwork, Paolo D'Amico working with us, Cesare also, uh, you know, we're all very focused on getting the thing done. And we got it done in a very, in a very efficient and a very, very satisfactory way, I think. Marco, clearly you have a number of accomplishments to talk about and you talked about them already. Would you like to share with us any major challenges that you faced and how you overcame them? Well, you know, uh, for sure, you know, starting, uh, I'm, uh, I'm 65, at uh, 63 I left Amico and, uh, and was really like, uh, like uh, heartbreaking. But, you know, I think I was also ready for a new challenge in my life. You know, you get to certain points where you've seen things all the way done and uh, the same way. So you feel, uh, you feel like you need something, a new challenge in life. Then, you know, there are also some... Um, uh, some uh, uh, generational changes in, in companies, especially in privately owned companies. And uh, the, the, all the children of Paul and Cesare, they're all hardworking, they're all present in the company. And I always felt that at the end of the day, they, have, they had or they have to choose their own team, you know, their own trainer and their own team. You know, I think, uh, I think at a certain point, you know, when there is these generational changes, you have to there has to be a breakage because, you know, I work with Paolo and Cesare, but not necessarily times have changed and, you know, the new generations want to do rightfully so things in a different way. And you have to respect that. And uh, you, can't, uh, you can't just be hanging around because you were the friend of their fathers. You know, I think that's, uh, that's very diminishing. So I had this challenge of uh, joining Premuda, which is owned by KKR, by Pelaston and KKR, top company. Uh, they had a fantastic idea uh, in Italy, uh, shipping after uh, 2008, 2010 was in shambles. And they had this idea of by buying Premuda and uh, starting other companies and collecting uh, all the, the fleet that was uh, repossessed by banks uh, to start a new uh, a new role in the Italian market and also the international of a company that's uh, a new player on the, on the Italian market with, with international ramifications. Um, I've had some, I have some great colleagues in, in Pedro Bermuda. And, uh, you know, my challenge has always been from day one has been of making Bermuda uh, not an Italian company with some international presence, but making Bermuda an international company with some Italian presence. I think that's where I would like to go. So uh, we did also some strategic thinking on some main themes, how you want to uh, how you want to position a shipping company, who you want to have as partners, uh, you know, because uh, I think having worked in a family-owned company also gives you a lot of vision on what are their strengths, but also what are their limitations. So I think... Uh, in this new chapter of my life, uh, let's try and put to work everything I've learned in my past life and try to make it better. So, you know, that's uh... very interesting. And Marco, that, that brings me to the next question. And by the way, we are privileged to keep a close relationship with you and keep a very close relationship also with the D'Amico Group. So you're right. I think at the end of the day, shipping is a people business and uh, loyalty. Community and relationships are, are those that and, and, and I have great relations with all of them. I think it's been as heartbreaking for me, for them, uh, especially on, 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 the, on the parents, but also the kids. But, you know, I think everybody, everybody understood a little bit. And still now, uh, 20 minutes before you called, I was talking to one of, their, uh, one of their children. So we still talk a lot to each other and we still share a lot of things and we try and do things together where we can. Wonderful. So... Marco, this brings me to the next question. You have worked for D'Amico, a very large, global, privately owned group. Then you worked for the uh, public uh, uh, arm of the group. Now you're working for a private equity controlled company. Uh, 
Do you see differences in the way of management of private, public, private equity uh, companies? Look, look, I must say that um, uh, I think uh, it's like, uh, it's like uh, Alice in Wonderland who asks the Cheshire cat, can you tell me the, the right road? And the Cheshire cat answers, depends where you want to go. So, you know, everything, everything is very much, you know, there is always more than one way to go to places. I think a private company have uh, certainly certain advantages. Uh, there is the reliance more on gut feeling, on experience, uh, less reliance on numerical uh, on numerical models. But you know, I think then um, then it's difficult to say this is right and that is wrong. You know, I think uh, I think uh, what is important. Uh, is the fact that uh, you need a compromise of everything. So uh, private equities, for sure, they're very focused on certain things. The returns for them are very important and I totally understand. Uh, and on private companies, there is this involvement of, uh, of the family, of the, of the top management, because they feel very much the top, the, their company. You know, then there is a third way, which is a private, uh, private equity, like we're doing with Premuda. And honestly, you know, when I started, I felt a little bit out of place. I remember my first day in Premuda starting from scratch. Uh, who are these people? And now, you know, now I, I totally feel very comfortable. Uh, I really feel it at home, you know, so I start knowing the people. So I think it is, it is good that I had a past of, of, of the kind I had because bringing some... Uh, personal relationship and humanity to the whole thing. I think it's very important. I think one of the things that we miss the most in today's world is common sense. And it seems that common sense doesn't exist anymore. And a lot of problems are get solved by common sense. You know, you don't need, uh, you know, the rocket scientist uh, for, for solving a lot of the problems. You know, you just need to think about it and, uh, and try. then you make some mistakes, but who doesn't? And, uh, and then you walk forward. Marco, I have, um, it's worth noting that uh, the majority of the global fleet uh, still remains in private hands, that the majority of shipping is privately held. So I have got the privilege, and Capital Link works, as we know, a lot uh, with uh, publicly listed companies. So I have had the, the uh, privilege to talk both to a lot of private owners and to public owners. And there are always sides on both, uh, there are always arguments on both sides uh, to be public or to be private. Uh, so you have experienced both. Uh, can you share with us, uh, should, uh, should we expect uh, or, or seek a higher public profile of shipping in terms of listing? Yeah. You know, Nicholas, it's very, it's very interesting what you say, because, look, I was making some reflection. If you think about two years ago, shipping was not very popular with public investors. Uh, it was kind of uh, very limited, uh, very limited. People want to have very limited exposure. Then you have these uh, cycles that get created, like the dry market, the containers. And now everybody wants to get into shipping, you know. So, uh, so, so you know, it is, it is a market shipping where... Probably you have years where very little happens. There are years where you have uh, always to manage your cash flow very tightly. But then when the market turns, it turns in a brutal way. and There is incredible returns. So what does it brings me to say? That uh, on the public side, people who are there for shipping, they should be probably be ready for longer term, uh, longer term exposure to the market. Because, you know, cycles are uh, far away from each other. You know, we didn't have a positive cycle in containers for 10 years, I think, something like that. And look now, there's not enough container ships. They're getting scrapped probably at 30 years of age. Everybody's trying to keep container ships. So markets in today's world, things change very dramatically. And uh, like in the past, you know, always have changed very dramatic things in the world. It is a global industry. The world is getting smaller and things change much faster today. So on the public side, I think uh, public is appropriate. On, on the public side is also very good because shipping, it is a very capital intensive business. So having capital markets helping you in raising funds, it is certainly a big, a big, a big, a big plus. 
but you have to be you have to deal with people who are willing to look at the long-term picture or otherwise uh, looking really at global uh, big trends uh, where where you see that there is a major change i don't know covid uh, uh, has entailed a big uh, uh, replenishment of inventory and that should have brought uh, thinking about uh, containers i think very few people i didn't think about that but uh, you know it's very interesting because everything has an explanation nicholas when you look backwards i think uh, i remember 2003 2004 the market was starting to go up and nobody everybody was thinking why does this are they making a, they were talking about a project of a floating airport in japan and the steel was used for that and so everywhere and then came out everybody just said oh but it's china so we're just in front of us and nobody ever saw it you know so that's the interesting part sometimes you have these things in front of you and you never see them coming you know? so marco let's now go into deeper into the industry section of our uh, discussion and as i mentioned uh, you are a person of strong convictions uh, and i always appreciate the clarity and action-oriented uh, uh, thought pattern that you have so let's start uh, with uh, a, a broad question today what do you see as the major challenges the industry is facing? Well, depends for the market. I would say for the tanker market, a big challenge is actually for the whole of shipping, the big challenge is to understand what is going to be the forms of propulsion moving towards decarbonization. This is the main challenge that we're all trying to understand. Everybody talks about different potential solutions, but there's nothing on paper yet that can prove it. Yeah, you do. You say uh, dual fuel, but then there is methane slippage. You say the hydrogen, but then there is not the logistic. So there's not a very clear path going forward. This, this I think, is one, one big challenge for the industry. The challenge then for the tanker industry will be carrying the, uh, the combustible that has been chosen as the propulsion for the future of this. So is it going to be liquid? Is it not going to be liquid? If it's liquid, what kind of ships you need and what you're going to be carrying? On the dry cargo, I think uh, it's totally different market. And these are the markets probably know a little bit better, probably better the tanker than the cargo. On the dry cargo, I think there's going to be a big cycles of, uh, of, uh, of infrastructural works. I think the infrastructure of the world is getting old. And I think if we need to move to a new revolution and decarbonizing uh, the, the planet, for sure there's going to be huge major investments that have to be made. And these all these investments will entail a lot of things being brought from one place to another of the, of the planet. So I think this of the, the decarbonization is, is the main, is the main uh, point. Second point, and it derives also from this, I've always believed very much in consolidation. So I think that uh, especially if in the tanker becomes uh, a more mature market, normally mature market grows by consolidation and not by investments. So I think probably on the tanker market, it's going to be a little bit more of, uh, of, of this consolidation. The dry cargo market is so uh, fractured. There's so many players, which I see it very difficult, and then so many segments. I think the only consolidated segment in dry mainly is the Cape size where you have few players. But then as you go smaller and smaller, you have more and more players. So I think that that becomes also more complicated. Also because there you have a lot of personalities, uh, people who have relationships, uh, people who are closer to one market or another. So I think there, that there is some room for uh, still for medium and smaller owners. In the tanker market, I, I mainly see there's going to be big consolidation, few players left, and, uh, and they are going to be servicing the world. I think it's, uh, it's, kind, of, uh, it's kind of inevitable. Marco, uh, let's focus on uh, private equity for a moment. Uh, private equity has had quite an involvement in shipping. Uh, it came in at the moment uh, when uh, shipping was at a downturn. There was a lot of investment from private equity firms. Uh, and they did provide capital to the industry. But now we are seeing uh, several private equity funds to reduce or exit uh, their shipping positions. Looking ahead, 
Uh, and of course, Bermuda is uh, owned uh, by Pilosco on KKR. So you have, a, I think, uh, a direct insight into uh, the world of private equity. So looking ahead, what do you think is the role? Well, you, you know, the private equities are not, are not, uh, are not long-term players. They have a limited horizon where they want to come in and get out. Uh, unfortunately, I think for them, I think they have been involved in the segment, in the sector, much longer than they expected. But now that you have a big recovery in some of some segments of shipping, I think they're implementing their exit plans. So, you know, from containers, from dry cargo, you know, you see a lot of reduction of their, of their plan. But that was their plan from day one. I think them staying in was tied to the circumstances that markets didn't develop the way they expected. So I think, uh, uh, so I think that uh, that is really uh, inherent to the type of investor, you know. Uh, naturally, then you have uh, a problem uh, also on uh, large uh, traded uh, stocks and shipping of liquidity, because, you know, it's very difficult to have a company that's liquid. Uh, you know, everybody wants to get out of the bus at the same time at the same stop. Is always very difficult. So, you know, I think there, there is a, who gets out first, who gets out second, and who gets out too late. Uh, I think, uh, I think for private equities, their presence in the market, uh, they're coming to starting to, uh, to reduce their investment. But that was, that was their intention from day one. They are not long term players. They, they want to take companies, uh, restructure them, uh, inject uh, equity and then sell them uh, on the beginning of the next positive cycle. Private owners, totally different, you know, so probably uh, investments in, uh, in uh, private equities, you'll see a lot of investments uh, in monosectoral, monosector uh, shipping companies. There's somebody investing in containers, somebody investing in cargo, somebody else investing in tankers, because they don't want to, they're not interested in this long-term uh, uh, diversification effect that you have between, for example, tankers and uh, dry cargo. They are more interested in having one uh, one type exposure and getting out at the right time. For a private owner, like like you mentioned, you have a lot of owners. Actually, most of private owners, which they are invested in dry, in tankers, in gas, in containers, because that is not a temporary investment. It's an investment that has to go down for generations. So you want to build something where you have a little bit of a diversifying effect. Tankers is down, but dry cargo is picking up like now, or containers is up uh, and something else is down. So I think for family-led companies, you'll tend to see a little bit more these mixed fleets that you tend to see in the market. I think it's very difficult to see family fleets just invested in one segment. And I think it's kind of rare to see private equities invested in uh, plurality segments uh, in, in the market because they have totally different philosophies of how they are they're participating in the market. Marco, thank you for making this so, so, so clear. And by the way, before we go to the next question, just to supplement, uh, to complement what you said, two things. A lot of people think that when you make an investment, that's great but when you exit an investment, that's bad. And that's the wrong perception. Uh, and I think uh, based on your comments, if we make the distinction, the ship owner, the sponsor or the, or the private ship owner, they are there to stay for the long term and weather all the ups and downs of the industry for the long term. The financial investor by definition is coming in with a shorter time horizon and we cannot blame financial investors for coming in and then exiting because that is part of the setup. Absolutely. But if you think about it, it's always been their intention from day one and nobody has been hiding it. Everybody's been saying it, you know, so. Exactly. And another interesting point that you brought up, uh, you're right, I think a lot of the private owners are diversified across many sectors. For some reason, Wall Street preferred uh, up until now the monosector pure play uh, orientation. But now we're seeing a number of the public companies deviating from that uh, principle. And actually we have public companies now in more than one sector. So we are starting to see more diversity uh, on the public markets as well. 
So anyway, thank you for- You know, it's, it's, really, it's really different courses for different horses. You know, there's some companies have been doing very well by promising a constant dividend. And there are other companies, I think there is a room also for companies so far has not happened, who have said, look, you won't see the, the spikes and valleys of, of the, the shipping cycle, because if we mix two different fleet, one tends to amortize the other. Uh, I think that there is also some merit to say be said about that. But then there is the inventors that says it's all or nothing. So these people will be just investing in containers or in dry or in tankers, you know. So, you know, I think financial markets are so ample today where there is room for everybody, you know. I think, uh, I think uh, there's room for everybody with a different form. And then investors have to find... Uh, the company that better expresses what they feel like investing in, you know? So it is not, uh, at the end of the day, it's the investor who makes the decision where to invest in. So, you know, I think uh, they have to make the decision. Correct. So going, uh, moving ahead, at Bermuda, you have uh, made the choice to work with several uh, outside partners. For example, you have entered into a joint venture with Columbia Ship Management for the technical management of the entire fleet. Then I understand you also work with CPM, Company uh, Transport Maritime, for the commercial management of the dry bulk fleet. And you are using also the Scorpio pools for, uh, uh, for the tankers. So give us your impression in terms of the merits of working with, uh, third, uh, with external and third party uh, partners. Look, the merit is pretty simple in my opinion, that by working with people, who are very professional and as good as you are or better, you have always something to learn. So I think that's number one. Number two, I think working with other people in these, like in these joint ventures, everybody, there's a different story for each of these joint ventures. We had a very fast growing fleet. So we had a small technical department, would have been a huge investment to be made and a very difficult investment to be made on, uh, on uh, on uh, on the technical on the technical on the technical so i think uh, i think that that was a very good and then colombia we have a very good relationship i think we view a lot of things the same way uh, so i think that was a very good and then what we did with colombia was a joint venture at the end of the day so we both uh, we both are participating in the revenue stream of this company we started together. So that was one story. So there we were motivated by growing fleet, the difficulties in creating a structure for this fast, very fast growing fleet. You know, uh, for example, you have on the tanker side, you have a big problem that is, uh, that is uh, on the crewing side. You have the, this matrix and the matrix it is made by mainly certain type of officers, which normally are required a certain type of experience on that number of ship, the main things. And the second thing, a certain uh, seniority of working with a company, which normally is one year. So how can a company who all of a sudden one year is taking 20 ships have make crew matrix enabled to satisfy that they've been one year with the company. They don't have those ships, they didn't exist. So you, for sure, you have to find somebody who's helping you in, the, in, that, in that part. So I think that's one point. Second point, the flexibility is enormous. You want to grow a company, you're growing it with somebody who has ample capacity to follow up in the growth. You want to start selling some assets. You have time, you have also somebody who you can sell assets without thinking, oh my God, but now I have to close my London office. What am I going to do with my technical guys? You know, it's very hurtful always to let people go. Nobody wants to do that. I believe they're not even the, the, the most callous uh, managers will have a pleasure in letting people go. Going in an outside technical management, you have this uh, big capacity of, uh, of growing and shrinking, uh, which gives you enormous flexibility. So this is one. On the, on the CTM, for sure, we, we tend to be more concentrated on tankers, but you know, dry has, has shown up today, totally unforeseen by ourselves, myself, that has a certain potential of growth. So we thought that, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's have, let's use and uh, let's partner up with somebody who has a great uh, experience in the market. And not only for the ships we have, but if one day we want to do another project in dry, 
So we don't have to completely revolutionize Bermuda, but we can go to our partner saying, look, do you want to do this number of ships together? Do you want to do this transaction together? So at the end of the day, you're also expanding your possibilities. There's never, I think partnering with people who are bigger than you is always beneficial. And uh, the third one of the Scorpio pool, Scorpio pool have had long-term relationship with, uh, with Scorpio. They are certainly top class, first in class company. And, uh, and going back to that, you know, having a, a fleet on the spot market is very complicated uh, for having a lot of ships on the spot market. We do, certainly do not have the, the staffing for keeping a lot of ships on the spot market. So our spot exposure, we manage it through Scorpio. But then our commercial identity, which is very important, uh, for certain players with major oil uh, companies, uh, major uh, traders, we can will do that directly or all the long-term TC business. So it's it's a little bit the best of both worlds, you know. For the spot exposure, you are relying on very strong professionals, and where you need really to build the long-term relationships, there we're going to do it by ourselves and applying our relationship. So you know, I think uh, I think in all of these uh, joint ventures. Uh, the, the recurring theme, it is flexibility, in my opinion. We always gain in flexibility by doing this. And uh, an openness of mind in, uh, in uh, being there, willing to learn something from people who are bigger and better sometimes than you are. You know, I think nobody should be priding himself for being the best in the world. I think all of us, we have something to learn every day when we wake up. You're right. You cannot be the best in everything. And I think uh, picking no. Partners and especially this partner. You know, the, the, you know what they say: jack of all trades and master of none. You know, so you know. <laughs> so, Marco, let me move forward to technology. That is another area of major challenge. Technology is changing rapidly, and the pandemic has also accelerated the speed, not only for the shipping industry but also for all of us. I mean, now we all live on Zoom. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's become part of our daily life in an amazing way. Uh, so looking at the shipping industry, what is the biggest change that you have experienced over your career and what do you think we are likely to see looking ahead? You know, you know, this is interesting because I'm part of a generation that when I joined Amico in 96, mobile phones were a very rare commodity with very limited network. And uh, emails, uh, we're still having accounts with the AOL.com or, uh, or something like that. So in one lifetime, uh, Nicholas, we saw an enormous change in our lives. Everything, uh, I think uh, it's kind of, I mean, I saw like probably you saw the world without mobile phones. We had the calling cards of at and in the United States, if you remember. <laughs> so, wow. so it's, it's amazing how we've seen things change in, in our old day. I think the main thing of technology, we have to adapt because it's very important. But then, you know, I think we have to adapt, but also here you have to use some common sense and still use what uh, it is a big asset. People still want to meet other people at least uh, and sit down and look each other in the, in the face. I think these are values that will take a long time to, to overcome. So I think technology is great. We should use it 100%. We all talk about digitalization in all the segments of our industry. But then an, an old meeting of two people sitting in front of each other and commenting about the world still has some value, I think. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, Marco, you have been both a banker and a ship owner. Shipping is a capital intensive industry. Uh, access to capital is very important. So. Can you share with us how you have experienced the changing landscape for uh, access to capital uh, and, and what are we likely to see going ahead for the larger, the medium, or the, uh, the smaller ship owner, which I think goes back look, to your Look, I think, I think that uh, the main change that was there when I joined, uh, you had still banks uh, in shipping dedicated to smaller and medium uh, ship owners. Uh, also there there's been you know there's been a, it's not fault of the banks i think they've been also uh, submitted to very strong pressure from regulators uh, returns uh, on their equity investment uh, bad loans so i think they had some very strong pressures and this brought a lot of the 
larger banks of concentrate, or, or at least not completely, but focusing a little bit more on uh, more corporate structure uh, owners. You know, I remember when I joined, the typical structure was in, uh, in shipping was the single purpose company, uh, also a Liberian company, no KYC, you know, better shares. You know, look, at, it looks like uh, another world, you know, there's not, not even anymore this world. So I think you have to do this transition of uh, auditing, uh, of, uh, of being transparent. I think these are things that are necessary in our world. Uh, I think that uh, going forward, I think there's going to be a little bit uh, also there, a different specialization of banks. There's going to be some funds helping some, uh, some, uh, some shipping owners, probably a little bit more expensive, but probably more focused on the transaction. Uh, large banks, shipping banks will always be there for the larger transaction and for, some, for the larger player and people who's, uh, who's well-established and probably with people who are listed or they have a certain dimension. And, uh, and then you have some niches in the market like, uh, like uh, Japan, you know, which, uh, which is totally different market where, where you still can do things that normally you can't do. You, know? you have China with certain characteristics, you have Japan with others. I think, so today the key word for owners it is also to go out knock on doors, explore, talk to people, and trying to find what is the best match for them. Because out there, there is a good match also for them. I have to say, I'm uh, very uh, impressed with the number of credit funds that have uh, sprung up ready to uh, finance shipping. So Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, the market, uh, you know, the need creates the organ. I think, uh, I think the fish started developing uh, legs uh, because uh, started living outside of the water. And so, you know, at the end of the day, people, markets adapt and players adapt to markets. So you see, you're totally right on credit funds. You know, there was a niche there to be filled and it's getting filled, you know. So I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the history of... Uh, of, uh, of the world in, uh, in progress, you know, that uh, there is new needs getting created and there's, uh, there's new industries uh, created to fulfill those needs. Marco, you uh, spoke already about decarbonization uh, in our discussion today. Uh, you've also joined a couple of our forums and uh, you joined uh, the panels on decarbonization. So I have two questions for you. What do you see, uh, how do you see owners adapting uh, to uh, decarbonization challenges, both for the immediate short term and also for the longer term? And the second question is, if you were going to go out and order ships today, would you go and order new buildings today, given the uncertainty? Or, or if you do, how do you go around uh, about it? So okay. the, the, first, the first question, I think, um, how they're going to solve it in the short term. I think that here we're a little bit... Uh, in a, in a, in a catch-22 situation because uh, the world wants to get decarbonized, but at the end of the day, they still need ships to move goods from one place to another. So you can't go to bed uh, one night and wake up the morning after with a perfectly efficient fleet and a decarbonized fleet. So you have to create a transition in this process. The transition in this process will be probably uh, medium term in which you'll have older ships still participating in the market because they have to be there. They'll obtain better profiles of decarbonification by reducing speed. And by the fact of that, uh, probably they'll benefit the whole market because you'll get a bigger ton mile demand, but they will make themselves a little bit less efficient because uh, they'll take more time or be less uh, flexible to participate in a market where there's going to be also needed moments <coughs> where you need full speed. So I think the medium term is going to be achieved like that. The long term is still open. Uh, I think it's going to be for sure there has to be some changes, but uh, I don't think that still today we know exactly which way we're going. So I think uh, this ties to your second question. New buildings probably would be, I would be looking at them but if it's really very convenient price with a short-term horizon. So because here you have a, a complicated equation to match. You have, you have to order a ship 
with a two years probably horizon before it gets delivered. And then you have at least for a tanker 15 years to amortize that ship. So you're looking at a 17 year horizon. And believe me, Nicholas, 17 years, I don't know, 17 months from now, how's going to be the world? Imagine 17 years. It is really a very long horizon. So I think a second hand will be, uh, will be, will be privileged. There's going to be more interest in second hand. We have some very good second hands. All the ships who are uh, Echo, who have been built uh, since 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, all of these ships, I think they fit a very good profile. Probably these will be the ship doing for longer term this transaction. And the older ships probably will be there for the transition, but will be participating for a little bit less in this transition. Uh, but uh, I think uh, I think there's going to be room for everybody. But moving forward, I think the biggest question mark is for the whole world to decide what's going to be the next step. Once we have decided what's the next step, I think everything is made clearer and everybody will start uh, because it's not a matter of needing ships. Ships will always be needed. It's still the cheapest per ton uh, way of, uh, of transportation. So you just need to find what's going to be the ship of the future. And at that point, that will be the big turning point in the industry. And, uh, and I don't think that today we're at that stage so far. Very interesting. And thank you, Marco, for, uh, for this uh, insight. So one of the standard questions that I ask in this podcast is about company culture. And uh, company culture is always um, a, you know, a combination of uh, the company's legacy, uh, the board, and of course, the CEO um, who you know, in, instills uh, principles and values and company culture and makes sure it uh, goes down the line. So, Share with us your experience in terms of importance of uh, company culture and, and how do you really make this uh, permeate throughout the organization? Look, I, I always said um, that uh, you can pull on a string, but you can't push on a string. So if you want to be a leader, you have to motivate people and, yeah, and pull them and them wanting to follow you. The best of people, you just find that when people are committed to the organization, they feel you as a leader and they would do anything for, for, for the well-being and for the long-term well-being of the company. Now, how you do that, probably that's a little bit, uh, people do it in different ways. For me, the best way is uh, inclusiveness, uh, uh, sharing a lot with the colleagues, uh, uh, openness uh, to everybody. I think accepting uh, all types of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of situations, uh, you know, having a very much of an open mind, but especially it is being very clear that, you know, a little bit like was uh, a flag of the United, of uh, the American revolution that said, united we stand and divided we fall. Creating this unity, I think it's very, very important and creating this leadership is very important. And, uh, and then everybody goes for it there. Uh, you know, I tend to do it by keeping my door always open, talking with everybody, going around the office, uh, talking to everybody in the office, uh, being available 24 hours a day. You know, then everybody, everybody goes their own method. You know, I'm probably more old school in these things. And, you know, having a chat and making feel people that they're part of something bigger and that their presence there counts for something, you know. So that's that's the that's the main thing. So, Marco, now let me ask you. Uh, of course, right now we live in a peculiar time, but uh, hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic and uh, life will go back to a normal or a new normal. But as the CEO of uh, the shipping company, you have been traveling. 24-7. I mean, as long as I know you, you are a person who moves, uh, and I guess yeah. all companies move around all the time, but how do you manage to balance personal life, business life, uh, and what is next to your agenda? Well, you know, probably, look, uh, I don't know if it's experience or not. If I, I hate to give uh, advice because you can never give advice. I think that sometime it is very difficult to manage personal life and business life. And sometimes I regret that sometimes uh, I didn't balance it in a better way. So, you know, I think, uh, I think that, but then you, you know, you never know what would have happened. I think, uh, 
I think for everybody, going back to what I was telling you about corporate culture, I'm a very firm believer with family is a very important thing in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, your colleagues. And they should have, you know, if you have a miserable life at home, you cannot have a great life in the office. So, you know, it's either, it's either uh, you know, you try to find a good compromise, you know, so, you know, trying to make happy the people around you and, uh, and, and also my job is also getting the people at home involved and making understood how the wife who's working the company or the husband or the kids, how they're important and everybody feels there's a little bit of level of commitment to that company. But you know, I'm a strong believer that if you have a miserable life at home, you cannot have a great and productive life in the, in the office. You know? Very wisely said, Michael. So what is next on your agenda? Well, next on my agenda, I think we have this project we've been working for two years and a half. We started the first year very actively. We did a lot of things, especially in Japan. Uh, we did a lot of uh, sale and lease backs, uh, long-term TCs, uh, and then COVID came. So for one year and a half, as you said, uh, uh, we're all at home, stuck at home. And I tell you the truth, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of telling you. I think uh, the first time I'll be traveling, I'll still have a little bit of anxiety, you know, what seemed to be normal jumping on a plane and then connecting uh, in an airport to I fly. Today uh, is going to give me a little bit of anxiety because in one year and a half, our lives have changed. I am a believer that, uh, I am a believer that human nature then overcomes. Human ingenuity is an incredible thing. Uh, so I think that we'll be overcoming all of this. But it has left some traces, has left some marks, has left some uh, uncertainties, has left some anxieties, especially in the young people. I think for them being in, uh, in total standstill for one year, one year and a half, two years, uh, has been playing a certain role. Uh, and, you know, we, we've, we've overcome this with the teams, uh, with, the, with the video conferencing, but at all, it's not the same thing. You know, one day we really have to pack a suitcase get in the car and go to the airport. And that is going to give a lot of anxiety to a lot of people. But you know, it's like, um, it's like when you fall from a horse, the best thing is to just go back on top of it right away. Because if you let, uh, if you let your fears dominate you, it's then, you know, you have to realize that you have fears, be afraid of it, be, be anxious about it, but you have to have the courage of bouncing back and start doing the same things, you know. And I think human nature is resilient. Absolutely. Michael, you mentioned Japan. And obviously, uh, I know that you have a, a lot of affection for Japan. You're very well known there and you have a business involvement. How, how did Japan become such an important uh, area? Well, well, you know, that, that uh, I joined D'Amico uh, in 96. And uh, Cesare D'Amico was already going to Japan for a few years. There were some limited deals going. Then, you know, we started going together. So once him, once me, we doubled our efforts in Japan. And then all of a sudden, you started to see a constant flow of deals coming there. You know, I think Japanese are very good partners. Uh, they are sometimes, uh, they are sometimes uh, difficult because there is sometimes a language barrier, but they are the most loyal and uh, respectful people you can have. You know, once you did a deal with them, that deal stands forever. And you know, what can you ask more uh, from life? Then they are a big market in shipping. They have big shipyards. Also now they're consolidating, but that's also good. Uh, and there is this culture of shipping. You have this, you won't see these small owners, their offices where they own six or seven ships. And there's a small office where he's working, his wife, his son, and two, three people, you know, it's really a nice culture of people who really feel a certain attachment to their business. And, uh, and they're very willing to invest. That's what they know. That's how, what they've been doing. Sometimes they got some, some tough deals, but that's what they know. And that's what they like to continue doing. So, you know, they're very committed in the business, you know, so that's a, that's a big thing. So I think we're kind of a lighter question. Uh, I mean, you have traveled everywhere in the world. Uh, do you have a favorite place or country you would like to be, not necessarily from a business standpoint, and is there a famous restaurant that uh, once you can go to the airport and go to that place, you can visit? 
Ah, well, there's, there's zillions of restaurants, you know, we all, we all have. I tend, uh, I like to eat, and that you can see it also from my body shape, you know, so, you know, I think, I think uh, so, and I believe that food is something that brings people together. But I think, you know, sometimes it's not a major lesson. I love sometimes going, uh, we're talking about Japan uh, at night, uh, walking down the street and, uh, and going into a total anonymous store, not knowing what to expect. And, uh, and you, have, uh, you have a soba, noodles or something like that. No, I think, I think it's the surprise effect that, uh, that uh, slowly and slowly you build it, you know. Uh, I think great restaurants, I live, uh, live in a place in Monaco, in France, where you have some great gastronomical restaurants, which are fantastic. But, you know, sometimes the small mom and pop uh, Japanese restaurant uh, where you come out at uh, 10 o'clock from meetings uh, or for having gone for a drink and you go in and eat uh, ekonomiyaki, which they call is like a pizza, you know, the, the, the Japanese pizza. I think it's very refreshing and you find that. Uh, this, this old couple cooking there in this little store that they've been for the last 20 years. I think it's a fantastic thing. I think it goes back to the young people. Keep your mind open. You know, don't focus just uh, uh, one thing or the other. Keep always your spirit open. Because at the end of the day, it's the openness of spirit that creates the leaders, you know. Very well said, Marco. And coming now to almost the end of our discussion, I wanted to ask you, Looking back, uh, if you had your younger self starting, would you have what advice would you give a, a younger Marco Fiore, and would would you have done things differently? Look, it's it's interesting. Probably, uh, probably my banking, but that was also useful. So you know, it's very difficult. I have a son who's involved in shipping. He's doing uh, he's doing his career in shipping. Uh, more on the finance side now he's uh, more on the operation and chartering side and i think he's uh, he's very uh, he's very interested in what he's doing and he's working in a great company so he's very and also in the right sector he joined in january and he joined the dry cargo operator so what can be more <laughs> and i'm telling him max look don't expect the rest of your life being like this, you know. <laughs> so he's been very, very lucky in that. No, I think, I think, you know, I think you get to an age and to a position. I think all your experiences play a role in who you are. It's like a recipe, you know, everything plays probably a small role and, uh, but everything together, I think, plays a role in your life. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy about shipping and what I find fantastic about shipping is, uh, is the fact that still one of the few businesses that's still a people's business, but also in the finance side, there's still a people's business. And then it's one of the businesses where you can really actually say that you never burn bridges because the world is round and whatever direction you take, you're bound to meet that person again sometime or somewhere. So, you know, so I think, uh, I think that this is the best thing about shipping. And then as creative people with the, uh, sometimes uh, uh, very strong characters, but anyhow, some very interesting people. Today you have, uh, you don't have, uh, you don't have the, the blind uh, uh, character that you see in many other industries so in shipping you still have uh, you still can meet uh, the the big mavericks and, uh, and people who think uh, which is, is kind of refreshing you know marco i would like to thank you very much uh, coming to the end of our discussion we had a long and very uh, insightful discussion as i mentioned you're a man of opinions and i appreciate um, all the personal insight that you shared with us and also all the insight on the industry um, all, I would like to thank you. I would like, uh, in closing, to thank also Columbia Ship Management for sponsoring uh, today's uh, podcast. Uh, we also have the privilege to work very closely with them. Uh, so thank you, Columbia. And Marco, thank you so much for... Uh, Nicholas, thank you very much. In the years you've... Uh, look, you are one of the persons who belong in shipping. So, you know, that's why I'm always very... You know. <laughs> Great compliment. We couldn't close Probably. it. Probably because you're Greek, so your compatriots have really given a lot to shipping. So, and you're part of that group of people who have given a lot to shipping. Thank you, Marco. I received. Oh, no, Nicola, thank you very much. Ciao, thank ciao. You. All the best. Bye bye. Bye bye.